All right. Going to have some scripture reading this morning and a couple other little things that we're going to talk about. So one second, Luke, let me put this in your mouth. I'll hold it for you if you want to just hold your Bible. The sun is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Colossians 1, chapter 1, verse 15. Thank you, buddy. Make your own attitude that of Christ Jesus, who... Existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be used for his own advantage. Philippians 5 through 6. Thank you, sir. All right, kids, y'all come on. This. All right, so during this Advent time, we are, I might cry, that's okay. Um, We are going to do something a little bit different during service. We're going to have the kids making an ornament to hang on the tree during the worship time, and then while we're singing the Christmas song, you guys can come up and put it on the tree, all right? And then also, we have this little tree here that we are going to be hanging some really special little decorations on that talk about the verses that we read. So, Luke, can you tell me something about the verse you read? That's okay. (laughs) That is is okay. So you said, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. And so, who can tell me what this ornament has on it? It has three rings. It doesn't have a box on it. You guys see it? Ari, Mark, Emily. How many circles? Can you count them? Three circles. Saley. All right. So, and so this one has three circles on it, and so it is supposed to talk. Well, it demonstrates the Trinity. So, Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit. Even though there are three separate. Well, there are three separate circles, but they all make this one thing. And so that is how God, the Holy Spirit, and Jesus all are. They're all three different parts, but it's one God. They're all one. And that verse Luke read talked about how Jesus was there in the very beginning in creation, even though he didn't come to earth until until he was born, Jesus, until Jesus came to earth. So, Saley, do you remember what the verse was about you read? right and so that's a huge thing Jesus was unselfish and he was equal with God he was in heaven with God but instead of just staying there he came to earth hey guys be careful with the candles Um, he came to earth because he loved us and so this red one well it is the alpha and omega God is the beginning and the end but we're also going to use it to talk about Love, and the red is like love, B, 
because Jesus loved us and he was so unselfish that he left heaven, a perfect place with nothing bad, to be born here on earth. Cold, I bet he was so cold when he was born, all babies are like, oh, I was warm and now I'm freezing cold. But he came as a little tiny baby. Who would like to put this ornament on? All right, we lost one. Good job. All right, so some really important things as we're learning more and more about Christmas is that Jesus, God, and the Holy Spirit are three separate identities, but it's all one God. And then also, the beginning and the end, God was before everything, he is after everything, but Jesus loved us so much, he left a perfect place in heaven to come here on earth with us. All right? Okay, all right, let's head on out, guys. So next Sunday, we'll come up and we'll put on some more ornaments, all right? Thank you. Good job, guys. Awesome. All right, so we are uh, going to, as uh, you obviously are noticing, we are going to be talking about uh, Christmas over the next, or the Advent over the next uh, four Sundays. And I, I'm, it, today might be a little bit unusual for us uh, in this way. Uh, a, a number of things. Number one, first of all, is that we're going to talk about a portion of the Advent that a lot of times we don't make a focus on. Uh, and so the verses that we picked today that uh, we talked about had to, had to do with the fact that, that God was already on the on the world you missing something bud all right man peace out <laughs> that god was already god god was not uh, jesus was not created that he was already alive in 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 a being before he ever entered into the world so we're going to talk about that today and, uh, and so that's one aspect that we don't focus on a lot of times we talk about the christmas story we start we, you know we're used to talking about uh, what happens when Jesus comes and, and the baby in the manger and everything. That, that usually begins with what we start. Or we, t- we start about her pregnancy and Jesus, uh, uh, or God coming to Mary and coming to Joseph. But today we're going to talk about something that happened before that. So I hope you're ready for that. But the other thing I want to talk about that I think that we don't usually experience at Christmas is the awe and the beauty of what is going on right now. You know, and I'm not talking about the fact that we uh, have traded Santa Claus and all the gifts and all that stuff. I'm not talking about that aspect. I'm not talking about us trading the birth of Jesus and the, res- the respect for that and the celebration of that for uh, the commercial aspect of Christmas. I'm not talking about that. There certainly is that going on, and certainly all of you are aware of that and hopefully are making your focus the, the birth of Christ, Jesus coming into the world. But I'm just talking about really heartfelt celebration for what God revealed to us about himself when he came to the earth. I don't know that we have have really taken enough time, all of us, to really begin to think about that aspect. Uh, You know, we we at the gathering place, we talk about a lot about coming to know God by experience through obedience. That we are experiencing God in our life. And I think there's no place other than uh, worse than Christmas for doing just automatic kinds of spiritual events without engaging God, the person of Christ 
in our lives. So I'm, I'm challenging you today to think through that, to, to ask yourself the question, uh, have you really thought uh, in a way of c- contemplation about what God has revealed to himself for you personally in uh, the advent of Jesus into the world? So we're going to talk today, the title of the message is Humble Beginnings. And today we're going to talk about humility. We're going to talk about humility that's expressed, that's demonstrated in the life of Jesus as he uh, comes into the world. And, and we're going to hopefully be challenged that we can also think about our own lives and think about the, the challenge of being like Christ through the verse that we read this morning that we'll read again. The challenge to have the mind of Christ and to, to legitimately think about the humility of Christ and, and celebrate the characteristic of Christ, of humility, and also emulate that in our lives. That's our goal today. All right, so obviously Christmas doesn't start or begin with the born, of Jesus being born in the manger. It begins with the Son of God making a vital decision about coming to Christ, of, of leaving Uh, coming to the world and leaving heaven on behalf of men and women that he created. So let's go back to Philippians chapter 2, and let's read that verse again, verses 5 through 7, and talk about humility a little bit. In verse 5, it says, uh, Have this mind among yourselves, which is in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. Look at this quote by C.S. Lewis. I love this. When we talk about humility, we're going to talk about humility today, today, the humility of Christ. A lot of times when we talk about humility, we talk about humility as a kind of weakness that we have as Christians, that somebody that has humility is not a strong person. But I love this, this uh, definition that C.S. Lewis gives us today. He says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself, but it is thinking of yourself less. Rather than degrading yourself, rather than making yourself nothing, is to really the best expression of humility is not to think about yourself. We are so prone to think about ourselves. We've been talking about uh, over the last few weeks, and last, last week we had a pretty hard conversation about some changes that are going on at the gathering place. And I've been working and in, in, in talking with leaders about some things that God's been putting on our hearts as we've been reading together some of uh, you know, the, the um, letters to the church book by Francis Chan, just thinking about, some, and, and the study that we just completed in the book of Acts, thinking about the fact that God, when he gets a hold of somebody. In the book of Acts, we see it over and over again that we don't see people wanting things for themselves. We don't see people going uh, into community and saying, hey, I want to be a part of this for myself. Instead, what we see is as soon as someone has a, an experience with Christ and the Holy Spirit comes into their hearts, that the first exchange that we see happening is an exchange for, from, selfless, from selfishness to selflessness. See people embracing uh, things like selling their possessions and giving to each other uh, as people had in need. We see selfless kinds of living. 
they don't think about themselves anymore, and it's automatic. As soon as this, this church in its infancy experienced the Holy Spirit coming into their lives, the first evidence that we see is selflessness. So true humility is thinking of yourself less, and Jesus demonstrates that at Christmas time. It's, it's one of the neatest, I believe, one of the most significant demonstrations of the character of, of God that, that God himself would leave heaven and come to earth. Andrew Murray says this. He says, the only humility that is really ours is not that which we try to show before God in prayer, but that which we carry with us in our daily conduct. Jesus demonstrated selflessness. He demonstrated humility all of his life. Paul was writing to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and he says this. Listen to this, uh, this verse of Scripture, this passage of Scripture, and look at the selflessness of Christ. He says, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of of godliness, and here's the mystery of godliness. He says, he was manifested in the flesh, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, and taken up into glory. The first thing that I want to mention and focus on is that Paul is saying in, in this passage that, that he, was, he manifested himself in the flesh, and that that is the mystery of godliness. We don't look at, at something that's mysterious about God that he's trying to, sh- to reveal to us. Was that he manifested himself in the flesh. Again, we think about Christmas, we, we go right to Jesus being uh, born in a manger. But let's stop for just a minute and think about this mystery that Paul's talking about. This mystery that he's des- describing to us, the, the reality of who God is to us and how he reveals the truth about who he is is that he is leaving heaven and coming to earth. Here's an excerpt that came from a book that, uh, that we've, we use at Louisiana College in a number of our classes called Embracing Obscurity, and the book is written by Anonymous. Whoever wrote this book, we don't know who it was, but he wouldn't even allow anybody to know that he was writing his, this book, even his own family. Uh, so so he's, he wants to be anonymous in writing this book because he was trying to follow the example of Christ in, being, uh, in, in embracing obscurity. But he says this. He says, the supreme being, the one who spoke our entire universe into being with a word, yet cannot be bound by human language, the namer of stars and the crusher of mountains, the God whose, whose face necessitates uh, veiling to preserve a man's life, the one responsible for each breath that you've taken while you're listening to this paragraph, the only omniscient, omnipotent, and omnipresent reality, yea, this God, became a roughly eight-pound mass of created cells. He took on skin, blood, and DNA 
and all the pain, heart, heartbreak, and weakness that go along with those trappings. He became human, the weakness, the, or rather the weakest form of that human at that. Well, take a few minutes to think about that. An infant, the God of the universe becomes an infant, totally dependent upon his mother and her, his mother's milk to be able to survive. The creator of the universe, the creator of the world, the one who spoke this world into existence with just a word is having his diaper changed. You ever thought about that? He can't eat without help. He needs shelter. He needs somebody to keep him from danger and harm. And Paul says this about that, about that truth. He says that it's one of the most fantastic mysteries of God. It illustrates to us something that we need to think about today. I hope that as, as we've read this and thought about this, that what it'll do is it'll stimulate your spirit to think about God and his character. That God is trying to reveal something to us that I think a lot of times we don't focus on. You know, when we talk about God and we talk about, the univ- uh, about God's character as we've been studying God's character for this year, or for, since we started the gathering place, but really been focusing on who God is and looking at how he, how he is moving and working in the world and, wh- and how our own relationships with God, our own experiences with God demonstrate to us who he is. As we look at all that, we think of God as powerful, and, as we, and certainly he is. We, we look at him as omnipotent, which surely he is, and surely that we see him as knowing everything and seeing the whole, all of future, all of the future that uh, is coming, and never, there are no surprises with God, and he is certainly, there's nobody that has any power that, to do anything that God doesn't allow to happen, that he is omnipotent, all-powerful. But we need to stop for just a minute. Because God could have done, uh, could have saved the world in a number of different ways. He could have done anything he wanted to do to reveal himself to us. But he sent his son to be born in a manger. That God would leave heaven to be able to come to earth is saying something about God to us that we need to recognize. Again, I know for us when we talk about some of these verses, maybe you haven't spent the time to think about it, but this week, man, as I've been focusing on this passage, I've been thinking about just how magnificent that is and how we need to take this, this uh, message that Paul was trying to give to Timothy to see how mysterious this is, that the God of the universe chooses to come to earth in the way that he did to reveal to us the significance of humility. Not only that we would take that on, which he definitely challenges us to do that, but he shows us something about himself. That God wants us to know that he is humble. That part of God's character that we don't normally uh, give to God is that he is humble. That what God does is that he wants to reveal to us that he is not doing what he's doing for himself, but for us. That he loves us enough that he doesn't even consider equality with God to be something to to be held on to. But instead, he leaves heaven and becomes a, a man. 
and enters into the world and becomes totally dependent. It's a, it's a beautiful characteristic, characteristic of humility. Now, it doesn't mean that God isn't strong. It doesn't mean that he's not powerful. It means that when he says that, when, when the Bible describes Jesus as humble, it means that he is selfless. That he is not doing what he does for himself. That's real common right now, there's a, there, and, and rightfully so. There's a teaching that's, that, that we have talked about in our church before. And I'm not taking anything away from that. And when we look at the glory of God, that the Bible is all about us knowing the glory of God and seeing the glory of God. That God wants us to see his glory, to know his glory. And, and, and I'm not taking, we don't have to take anything away from the glory of God to recognize his humility. Instead, it just causes, his, the, it causes the character of God and the glory of God to be manifested in a mysterious way. Have you ever thought about God being hum- humble and that God wants us to know his humility so that we can know how incredible he is? And then he says for us in, in, through Paul's uh, words to the church at Philippi that, that we need to have that same mind in ourselves that he had. Not to make things happen for ourselves, but to take on the humility of Christ. It's beautiful that God is humble. And, when, and sometimes when we talk about the glory of God, I feel like that there are some people that preach it in such a way that we think that God is wanting us that he is protecting his glory in the sense that he's doing what he's doing for, him, for himself because he's prideful instead of humble. Does that make sense? That when God is being who he is, obviously humble, according to what we read in Ephesians and in Colossians and in Philippians, that if that is who he is, and when we start thinking, when we start speaking about the glory of God in a way that God is protecting his glory because he is prideful. That that is not a picture, a true picture of who God is. God wants us to see his glory and to know his glory, and he protects his glory because he wants us to, to experience the blessing of knowing him for who he is. In, in Ezekiel chapter 36, we've talked a number of different times about how God said that he was going to do something. He was going to take some action because Israel was causing the nations around him to have a false perception of who he was because they were disobedient to God. He was protecting his glory, but he was protecting his glory for a very specific reason. It was so that people could have an encounter and experience with him and know him because that would bring joy and excitement in life. and It would, it would cause them to have a reason for living. And so he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to sin. I'm going to take the sins away from you. He says, I'm going to wash you with clean water. I'm going to take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I'm going to put my spirit in you so that you can obey the laws and decrees and know me for who I am. And I'm not doing it for your namesake, he says to Israel. He says, I'm doing it for the sake of my name. Because if you can know God for who he is, the more that you discover about the reality of who God is, the more joy you have in life, the more excitement you experience in life, the more you see the mystery of the beauty of who God is. And so I'm, I hope that we can today see that, that 
that humility is, is a portion of the character of God. It is something that he wants us to emulate in our lives. And that, that, that humility is what will bring joy in our lives. And so it makes sense that Satan was banking on Christians being selfish instead of selfless. That Satan would do all that he could in our lives and in the church to cause us to be self-centered rather than selfless. And Paul speaks about that as he talks about this fantastic mystery. He says, "Let, let this stimulate your spirit. Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. So it's the heart of Jesus to save us from our sins. And he wants us to know his humility. But Satan comes in and, and causes us to think about ourselves. And as we begin to think about ourselves, we see we, most of us have bought into the lie that if we will do what we do in, in church and if we'll do what we do in our religion, if we'll do it for ourselves and fight for our rights and have what we want, that, that we'll be happy. And so Satan has bought us. And so churches, as we've been seeing for years, have bought into whatever the church. They go, they go to a church. People come to a church for what they can get out of a church. They're looking for a congregation that will, that will give them what they want, that will make them happy. And so if the programs aren't right, if they don't have all the right stuff, then, church, then people move from church to church to church. I'm so thankful that you guys have not come to this place because of what you've experienced here because you want something for yourself. But Satan has fought. He's fought us and he's worked hard to get us to move that direction. I want to read a couple of passages to show you that what Satan is in opposition of what God is. In Isaiah chapter 14, verses 12 through 16, we studied portions of this passage this, at the beginning of this year when we talked about spiritual warfare But listen to what the scripture says. Listen to what Isaiah says. In verse 12, he says, How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to the heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit on the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high, but you are brought down to Sheol, to the far reaches of the pit. Talking about Satan. And he says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, raise a lamentation over the king of Tyre and say to him, thus say the Lord God. You are the signet of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, and jasper, sapphire, emerald, and carbuncle. And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. In the midst of the stones of fire, you walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub. 
from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. So this passage is talking about Satan and that he was, he was uh, the star of heaven, literally. He was created to be the star of heaven, but he fell because of his pride. It's who he is. Satan's life was one of pride, while the, the character of Christ is one of humility. And so when we look at the two of those together, it's unfortunate but true. When we look at ourselves and we evaluate ourselves, there's so many ways that we are more like Satan and selfish than we are like God and selfless. And as Christmas comes this year and we start focusing on Christ and his character, we need to see the humility of Christ and to celebrate that and to be thankful that God is not like Satan. He is trying to show us his humility, to show us how much he loves us and that his desire for us is is not only to experience the selflessness that he gives to us, but also to live that way in front of other people. So we have a choice today to either live by pride or live by humility. So I want to look at the difference between Christ's disposition and Satan's disposition before we close. Look at it with me. First of all, in Christ's disposition, he is by his very nature God. The passage in Isaiah and other passages talk about the fact that Satan's disposition is he is by nature created by God. So Christ was, was not created by God. Christ was God. He's always been, always has existed, and always will be. He was there in the beginning of the world, of the, of, of the earth, in the creation of the world. He, was, he, is, he is God. He is one of the Trinity, one of the three of the Trinity, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He is God. Satan's disposition is he is by nature created by God. Another thing of Christ's disposition, he did not cling to his rights of deity even though they belonged to him. He had the right to stay in heaven, being worshipped by God uh, or by the angels, being uh, lifted high and held up, being the creator of the universe and celebrated by everybody in heaven. He didn't consider that to be something to be grasped. He didn't cling to his rights of deity. That's the disposition of a humble God. Or Satan's disposition is pursuing the rights of deity even though they didn't belong to him. He wanted to be like God and even though he didn't deserve that. He wanted the rights of deity. He humbled himself. Christ humbled himself and made himself of no reputation. Satan's disposition, he bragged incessantly in his heart, constantly bragging on himself, proud of who he was. Christ's disposition, he came to serve men, his created ones. Satan's disposition is that he sought to rule over those that he did not create. Christ's disposition is he became man. Satan's disposition is he tried to become God even though he was an angel. 
Christ's disposition is that he chose obedience to the will of God, even though it included obscurity and even death. And Satan's disposition is he rebelled against the will of God because even the beauty, wisdom, and high position were not enough for him. Even though he was placed as one of the highest in heaven, had a place of authority over the angels in heaven, he still wanted more. It wasn't enough for him. So, and there are other things we can talk about. Look, but these things describe out of these two passages of Scripture that we've read, one demonstrating the humility of Christ before he came to earth, and one being Satan trying to make something of himself and the pride that resulted in that. Two different ways to look at life, two different ways to, to live life, two different characters demonstrated. And we have the choice to be able to live our lives by one of those two ways of living. I think it's interesting that God has brought this passage to us at this time. On the heels of what we've been talking about, about expanding our church and each of you finding your position of leadership, finding yourselves rather than being one that's constantly taking from this church, to find yourself being a person who is taking the challenge to, to, to reach out to people that are already in your life, to ask God, what can you do within the context of your own home to, to reach people, to, to take leadership rather than just being a part of something for yourself? You know, I, I wish that we could just preach this message today and say, you know, as we look around us, we find a lot of churches that are selfish. But in fact, we need to look at ourselves. And here's what I know is fixing to happen, man. God has been giving me warning after warning about uh, challenges that are coming I don't know if it's just for me or if it's for all of us. But here's what I know is going to happen for you. There's a challenge that's going to come during the Christmas season, and we need to, to, to remember this as we move through this season. That God has something for you to do. He wants you to have the mind of Christ, to be selfless in what you do, to take the challenge to get outside of your comfort zone and not to do what you do in church for yourself, but to begin to think about how can we reach out to the people that, are, that don't know Christ? How can we reach out to those people that are already out there trying to make, uh, find a church where their needs can be met and are still as miserable as they ever will be as long as they continue to try and do something for themselves rather than seeking God and asking God, what's your will for my life? The beauty of who Christ is is that he is not looking down at us and judging us. It's that God did what he had to do in order to cause us to be able to know him personally. And that involved leaving heaven and coming to earth because there's no other way that we would know him if, unless he would become flesh and dwell among us. And so Christ did that. Even though he created the world, the Bible says, uh, even though he created the world, and, and in, in John chapter 1 it says that he came to the earth and his, earth and their, and his own people didn't receive him. It said, to those who received him, he gave the power to become the children of God. And for us, being a child of God means that we take on this characteristic of humility for ourselves. Today's a good day for us. You're probably feeling pretty good about our church right now. But let me just say something. You're going to be challenged over the next couple of months. And this, this, this is going to be a challenging year for everybody in our church. I've already heard from some in our church that are, are, are saying they're not going to stick around. They're not going to be used by God to, to work here. Now, they hadn't said it in that way, but I can promise you that's what's going to happen. 
Because our focus is on ourselves instead of our focus being on being like Christ, taking on the mind of Christ, which means we're not in it for ourselves. There's so many different options of ways that we can do church, and, and so many of us have been doing what we're doing here because it's a new way to do church, and we enjoy it. But I hope and I believe that we're beyond that as, as a church, that most of us are at a point where we're ready for this challenge to be like Christ, to take on the humility of Christ, and that what we do right from now on is not going to be about us anymore. We're going to have to move outside of our comfort zones and get to the point where, where instead of being prideful and saying, oh, I know how to pick a church and I know I'm in it for myself, is that we see ourselves as, as, as giving ourselves for the sake of the work of Christ. Getting outside of our comfort zone. Some of you are scared to death to, to share, share Christ with anybody, and it's time for us to do that. It's time to invite people into your home and to share meals together and to begin to invest in people and, and see what God does with that because there are people right now who have no clue of who Christ is. They have fa- a false perception of who God is because all they've experienced of the church has been a, self, a selfishness. And, and we judge people rather than giving ourselves and in, in, in challenging our, our ways of thinking, allowing God to move us to, and give us compassion for people like Christ had, who, di- who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but took on the flesh, human flesh, took on the form of a servant to serve people. to leave heaven, a place where he had been worshipped for eternity, and to, to be born as a baby in a manger. That kind of humility. So as we talk about the Christmas story, I hope that you're going you're gonna to receive this challenge. That you're not going to be in this for yourself, but you're going to be in it for, for him. To love him, to know him. And to allow his mind to be your mind. His way of thinking to be your way of thinking. And as a result, there's two different options for us. We can go, we can, we can be, we can take Satan's disposition. Or we can take Christ's disposition. And the two results were also demonstrated in these two passages. In Philippians 2 it says, therefore God exalted him. Because he took on flesh, because he was willing to sacrifice and, and leave heaven and, and leave all of the blessing that he was experiencing in heaven, he took on flesh. God exalted him as a result. And God will exalt you. Not exalt you necessarily in a way that man will look at you and say, wow, you're incredible. But exalt us in, by giving us blessings in life. Experiencing the blessing of God is when, when we take on the humility of Christ and his disposition. God also calls, he says that every knee will bow to him in heaven and on earth. Certainly that won't happen for us. But every knee would bow to Christ. Also that God would be glorified in his life. And there is something that we can have. Is God being glorified in our life? Or we can take on the disposition of Satan. And the result that we read about in Isaiah says that God had cast him down. And we can have that experience. And many of us are miserable because we spent so many years trying to do church for ourselves. And trying to do what we do in our relationship with God for what we can get out of it. Rather than 
taking on the disposition of Christ. He says also, heaven and earth will marvel at his destruction. And that also through that, that God would be glorified. That God's going to be glorified when Satan's destruction comes. And God's going to be glorified when we live in humility, in the humility of Christ. So if I were to summarize those two things, two things, life being summarized under the disposition of Christ is Christ's humility was uh, followed honor, was followed by honor. And in Satan's disposition, his pride was followed by humiliation. A quote by Richard Foster in Celebration of Discipline, he said, Nothing disciplines the inordinate desires of the flesh like service. And nothing transforms the desires of the flesh like serving in hiddenness. The flesh whines against service, but it screams against hidden service. It strains and pulls for honor and recognition. This whole idea of Christ's humility and us taking on humility for ourselves means that we, we're not willing to whine against the service that we give that gets no attention from anybody. That when we do ultimately take on the humility of Christ, if we really are walking in this, within this kind of thinking and the character of Christ, of humility, it's giving our lives away without any response from anybody. It means that we sacrifice and, and give ourselves away for the sake of others, for the sake of those who are lost and those who are wandering, whether we ever give any attention for ourselves or not. Maybe nobody's ever going to notice what you do or ever, ever uh, recognize you or hold you up for the, for the life that you live and the things that you give. But Paul made a statement a long time ago that God used to speak to my life. Paul says that a, a number of different times, he says that his life was being poured out as a drink offering. And I, I looked that up one, uh, one, at one point. Uh, did a study of just that idea of, of being a drink offering and what did it mean. And the drink offering was the, was the uh, offering of wine that was poured out on a sacrifice that had already been burned. And when you poured out the drink offering, that wine offering, it represented the blood of Christ. But it also evaporated because the, the sacrifice was, was hot. And so the point that that passage makes is that only the fragrance would be noticed. That nobody would, would ever see it. Uh, there would just be a smell. There would be no uh, wine left. That Paul was pouring out his life, literally. He was giving his life and not concerned about what anybody ever thought about it. But his concern was just to bring glory to God. And that's where I, I challenge us to be. Two responses today. Number one is let's... Let's live in awe of the depths of the love of God that was shown to us whenever he humbled himself so that we could have eternal life. Live in awe of that. Let that godliness stick out to us. Think about the humility of Christ and the love of God that he demonstrated to us. And during Christmas, during this season, dwell on that beautiful fact. And then the second thing, let's, let's let that mind be in us also, right? Right? Let's choose to humble ourselves as we go through the Christmas season. Let's, let's honor, allow God 
to receive honor and glory. Let's choose to resist the temptation that Satan's going to put in our minds, particularly this time of transition for our church as we start doing things differently. We don't even know what all that's going to mean yet. But buying into and, and sacrificing in order to do the things that God's called us to do with humility and not worrying about getting something for ourselves. But on the heels of that, man, we're going to be so thankful when we start seeing lives change and we see the blessing that comes as a result of us dying to ourselves, taking on the humility of Christ for the sake of others. Y'all with me? All right, let's pray. Father, I pray that you will fill us with, with awe. Kind of awe that Paul experienced that he was sharing with Timothy. Just the mystery, God. This fantastic mystery that though you are God of the world and you, you are omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent, Lord, this fantastic mystery that that caused you to not consider equality with God to be the thing to hold on to, but to become a man and a servant of, of men, to come to earth. Father, I know there are people in this room that wonder if Jesus loves them enough to save them. <laughs> you have manifested that. You left us the splendor of heaven for us. There are people here who wonder if you love us enough to give us abundant life, to give us a good life, the best life. And you have manifested yourself to us, leaving the splendor of heaven so that we could have life and have it to the full. There are people here that wonder if Jesus is not willing to go to any extreme to do for them what they can't do for themselves, and yet you have manifested yourself to us, leaving heaven to bring us life, the blessing that we can experience by walking with you. I pray, God, that this mind-blowing reality would cause our emotions to, to rise up and that we take this season to, and all that it is, God, Take the time to consider the love of God manifested in his wonderful act of humility for us. It's the mystery of godliness. We receive that and ask you to remind us of that as we exalt you during this holiday season. In Jesus' name.